Hello and welcome to Socialist Night Live on Socialist Think Tank. We are going to do some. Um, we're going to do something a bit different tonight. We are going to be talking to you about what you want to talk about, rather than thinking of a topic and bringing it to you. You are going to bring the topics to us. So, bit of a change. We often like to talk to our audience, well, we always do, really. But uh, tonight we are doing that consistently throughout you are driving the show so you could probably you could come up you could have like these really weird right-wing crazy conspiracy theories and ask us about that and see if you can get us like you know get us cancelled or something you know I haven't been cancelled yet so um, although in order to be cancelled I'd have to have some kind of following so uh, yeah it's probably not gonna happen so uh, on the panel tonight we've got Neil Terry Neil how are you doing I'm good. I'm good. Thanks, Paul. How are you? I'm absolutely fine. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about what you've been up to lately, because you've been doing all sorts of amazing photography. And just actually, tell us a little bit about who you are as well, because it's been a while since you've been on the show. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm Neil Terry. I'm a photojournalist. I work for uh, various outlets. The main one is the Morning Star. Is one I'm uh, probably closely associated to, but. Um, I cover mainly left-wing uh, kind of uh, uh, news-related items, so protests, demonstrations, strikes, all that kind of stuff really is, is what I do. Um, obviously socialist at heart, so hence why I work with Morning Star. Um, so what I've been doing lately, I've been uh, covering a lot of the uh, P&O demos, uh, in particular in, uh, in Hull and, um, uh, and Liverpool. Um, as well as uh, People's Assembly as well, which uh, I am part of um, as well. Uh, I've done a lot of work with them. Absolutely brilliant. Well, thanks for all that you do, Neil. And um, let's come next to Jane. Jane, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing good, thank you. And um, today I particularly like books. So, mm. I'm going to start <laughs> off on that. So while you're thinking of all your questions... Um, and we've had a couple in already, which is amazing and really, uh, really good. But um, yeah, we're going to talk about book recommendations and things in a minute and things that we're doing in Social Think Tank to do with reading groups and, and all sorts of that. So uh, is there anything else you want to say today, Jane, or are you going to come back to your books in a minute? I've got too much to say about books, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Excellent. So I'm going to come to Dan next. How are you doing, Dan? I'm good, family. How are we doing? What's happening, Socialist Think Tank friends? <laughs> um so it's all it's all pretty good here um and good stuff man yeah it's looking you've got a nice background there it's looking smart it's all right i'm, I'm devastated there's there's lips right and I, I wanted them on the wall but <laughs> i've not got a drill so or a hammer so i'm i'm not allowed hammers either so yeah the lips are just gonna like i'm just letting everyone know the lips are here <laughs> a, so, a socialist without a hammer I thought you were meant to have like a hammer and a sickle um, oh hang on that's communism isn't it that's, uh, yeah that's communism it's socialist yeah. tonight communism on a Sunday yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> great um, okay so let's go to the book thing okay so Jane I've called it the book thing I've done it a terrible disservice there by calling it that so you tell us about the book thing 
So I'm going to try and be disciplined um, because um, we went out to um, the members and um, supporters of Socialist Think Tank to ask them for nominations for books they like. And what we're going to do is send out um, the list to the Socialist Think Tank members and they're going to vote for their favourites. Um, and we've got 50 books and I'd really like to name them all and just talk about them all. But I suspect that's not going to be very welcome. So I'll try and just pick some that look particularly good. Um, so we had, um, like I say, 50 nominations in, um, got different categories. There's a few biography and autobiography, got some economics books. And I'm not traditionally someone who would read economics books, but when I looked into all of these, I actually would quite like to read all of them. They look very good. Um, we got some fiction and we got um, what I've called politics and social sciences. Um, so if I go to the economics ones first, um, so having said that I won't read out everything, um, we got The Shock Doctrine um, by Naomi Klein, um, Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. Um, so when you say economics, I was thinking, you know, you think numbers and long-winded theories that I'm not going to understand, but actually there's a real human element to all of these. Um, so looking into um, The Shock Doctrine, um, She's, um, she's talking about how governments take advantage of social crises um, to implement unpopular neoliberal, liberal, neoliberal policies. So I'm too excited about the books and I can't speak. Um, <laughs> and um, she gives examples of events in, in the recent past um, that have been a, where there's been deliberate active theatres, she calls them for the shock doctrine. Um, so governments have used these to manipulate populations, which sounds like a big conspiracy theory, but actually the world is a complex place and um, people often use things to their benefit. Um, so that sounds really good. Obviously, um, stolen by Grace Blakely, um, got some David Graeber's in there, debt, the first 5,000 years, 23 things they don't tell you about capitalism looks really interesting actually, because I wasn't too sure what to make of that, but when, yeah. so he's taken 23 assumptions. I don't know if anyone else has read any of these actually, did anyone else yeah. want to come in? Or I'll, I'll just talk I'll come in. I'll come in on the 23 things um, they don't tell you about capitalism. That's not by a socialist, by the way. That's by a Hajun Chang. I think that was one of my um, nominations for this one. And I've just finished Economics: The User's Guide by the by the same author. And he's just he's just an economist who thinks actually, you know, the there are capitalist there are capitalist ideas and there are socialist ideas and there's all sorts of different things. And his main argument is you, you've got the dominant school of economics which is um, it's, it's some, something that's come out of the neoclassical um, economics. But there's like about 30 different schools of economics. There is no one type of economics. And his idea is you should be familiar at least with all of them if you're going to argue for one of them or none of them or against them or whatever. So he said like, so he wants to say that, you know, capitalism is not the only way. It's a really, really childish thing to kind of tried to say that that yeah oh yes or oh, capitalism is proven to be correct and this form of neoliberal capitalism which is very different from the kind of capitalism you would have seen in the 60s so yeah it was quite interesting from that point of view i like that author he's good it looks really interesting um we got um the code of capital um how the law creates wealth and inequality um by katarina pista and that's talking about um actually how the legal framework um, is 
quite, um, I don't know if corrupt is the word, but um, used by people um, to maintain capital in the hands of the wealthy, um, which is not something I've really thought about before, but increasingly it does feel like mm. things are weighted against, you know, the little man just going about their business, trying to make a living. Um, we've got Donut Economics by Kate Raworth and Paint Your Town Red about um, the Preston um, model. I don't know if anyone else, anyone's read any of those others there. They look really good. So mm. that's the economics ones. <laughs> I've, I've, again, I've read a few of those. The Katarina Pistol one, that was hard work. Really, really, really hard work. But like, she tries to put things in a really simple way. Um but basically, it's all about how you've got all these really highly paid people who are constantly working on laws that will try to protect capital. And that's all they do. And most of the law is now written by law firms that aren't anywhere near a court. So I think everyone thinks there's like legal precedents and stuff. But actually, most of what's going on is is the protection of of wealth. But for, there was one of the best stories that she told was um, about the indigenous people of the Amazon. At one point, they took the Brazilian government to court um, using these laws against them, using like English case law against them. And and, um, and the indigenous people proved that they had um, a legal claim based upon the modern kind of definitions on the Amazon and therefore the Amazon can't be logged. And if that had been the other way around, you know what would have happened? They would have logged the place and they'd have cut everything down. But because they found in the favour, what did they do? They cut it down. They protected the wealthy anyway. They just decided that they would ignore the law. But it's it's interesting that the idea that you can try and use the law against the people who are trying to use it against you, but really people are just writing things all the time. So it's a system that needs dismantling. And she argues that if you want to dismantle the current system, you can't do that without dismantling the current legal system. So it's just being used to legitimise like powerful interests, really, then when it works in their favour, then it's all good. And when it doesn't work in their favour, you know, it feels in this country now, you can buy justice because you can have a case against, you You know, you can be in the right if you haven't got the money to push that through. And you can be talking about hundreds of thousands or even millions of pounds just to defend, you know, your honour. It doesn't matter. You have to concede or if you don't have that money. So it does all feel a little bit awful um in terms of the legal system um and we've oh, i missed the deficit myth by stephanie kelton um which looks good as well so like i said i don't really read economics books but there's a real human element to all of this it's much more human than you think isn't it yeah James, what, what was the last book you mentioned sorry the deficit myth not just now i meant before sorry it was oh, did you mention one on it? that's it yeah right yeah. so you did mention preston i, I apologize yeah. I was getting notifications from my daughter so she could buy something on Nintendo. And I was like, did she mention present? But what I wanted to mention was I've been involved uh, this last few weeks with the um, Preston Labour like, campaign launch and their manifesto. And I've been doing a bit of filming for them. And I've been driving around Preston with Matt Brown. And he's, he's telling me about all the projects they've been working on. And is like, honestly, when he retires from politics, he could continue making money just doing tours of Preston, telling people about the ideas and the projects they come up with. 
But one of the most beautiful things, and I don't want to spoil the video that's coming out this week, but is there's a, a, a gypsy Roman Romany travel traveler site. Like they don't travel. Um, it's it's in the name, I believe, from what I understand. I'm still being educated. Um, but like there's this dude who's like the granddad of everyone on the site. It's not a massive site. And um, there's there's a few beautiful moments. Basically, the Tory County Council were gonna get rid of the sell off the site, and then another family were gonna own it, and it was not gonna be good apparently. But Matt Brown helped him uh, build a cooperative model, so he could be the the chair of the co-op, <clears throat> and all the families who lived on the site could could own a part of it. Um, but a beautiful moment that I thought would make you all smile is, and it's not going to be in the video. So um, he's sitting there and he's saying, "We've kept our culture. We've kept the way we are." Um, and his little daughter, uh, granddaughter, which snuck in in the corner of the shot. You could just see her in the corner, sitting there watching. And she went, hey! And he goes, uh, he goes, be quiet. And she goes, no, granddaddy. I, and he's saying that, you know, all these kids, they're all Prestonian. They, they were born here, but they, they speak with an Irish accent. And she went, I, I ain't got no accent. I can't do the accents though, but imagine this beautiful little girl, like with an Irish accent. She goes, I speak like my mommy. But as she says, like, I speak like my mommy. And it was the most beautiful thing. <laughs> and you've got all these kids who run around talking like this, like with these Irish accents, but they're from Preston. And, and they just fill the place with all this energy. And, and I think that's the beauty of, someone said in the comments, you don't need to read these books to see what's wrong with the world, which I kind of get, you know what I mean? But like, one thing that you, you don't see is when you do read these books is like, you don't see the human element like what these socialist policies, these socialist changes that we can make in society do to people and, and the joy they bring. Because all those kids are so happy that they, they have their homes, they're able to stay where they are and all of that. And there's a whole massive community there that you can read about, but you can never experience it until you're there. And what going around Preston with Matt, like learning about everything that, he's done, that his uh, labor group have done there, you really feel it rather than just read about it. And that's really a really beautiful thing. So I haven't read that book. I'm going to read it. If you do read it though, see if you can get Matt to give you a tour of Preston as well, because it's brilliant. <laughs> it's really nice to have a positive um, thing too, isn't it? Because looking at the economics books, they're all explaining what's really wrong. And it's given an example, you know, they, I think they do say, this is how we could change it. But it feels at the moment, there's not like a hope in hell that that's going to happen anytime soon. So to then have, this book they're saying actually we've done it and it's working yeah it's just nice. to add on to that as well like if, if you're interested in that kind of local authority local change um you know preston model style thing there's like i think um salford uh, north Ayrshire in scotland um there are other places that are, that, that are actually doing these things and on monday night uh, Momentum are doing a like a, a live, you know, a live show about 7 p.m. talking about exactly that kind of stuff. So if, if anyone's into that, definitely check it out because there's there's going to be again people who are actually doing that stuff talking about it. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds sorry, that sounds a really plugged. good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really that's a good plug. That and and Jacqueline Hemmons has just said she's heard of the Preston model, but she's got no idea how it came about. So maybe she should. Join that Monday night. 7 is there a link to it anyway? Facebook. Uh, go on Momentum's page. It's definitely on their on their feed. I know we posted today. Spot on. Um, big solidarity to. Uh, uh, it's either Celtic, Larson, Tivan, or Celtic. Did I say Celtic or Celtic? Which one? Tell me which way, whether it, what kind of C that is. But um, who is uh, 
traveller heritage there, so um, big solidarity to you there. And uh, a few questions coming in as well. Um, let's do one of the questions, shall we? Um, I'll shout out to Mick Hills as well. I said, deficit myth is amazing. Professor Stephanie Kelton really explains money perfectly. Again, not not coming at us from a socialist perspective. That is about modern monetary theory and where money comes from. Um, so, yeah. Um, right. So, didn't get that. No, I didn't. There wasn't something coming through on pronunciation there. So, I'll leave that for a bit. Um, it was another question from Jacqueline Hemmons that came in. Um, talking about economics, does it, and anyone can take this, by the way. How long has quantitative easing been a thing? Is it relatively new? I think I know the answer, but... Japan in two, 2000 and something. Yeah. That's when it started. I know that. That's when the <laughs> name started being used. So basically, yeah, yeah. basically quantitative easing was a, was a way of describing what um, when governments borrow but don't want to be seen to be borrowing, they call it quantitative easing. Um, so really, governments can't really borrow anywhere. It, it's a really weird thing. If you've got your own currency, if you're borrowing your own currency, people talk about printing your own money. If you don't print your own money, there is no money. Um, every country who has a currency has to print their own money. And since the 70s, um, that hasn't been, that's been fiat-backed currency. So that, that it used to be gold standard. So it used to actually have a physical uh, representation of what the money is, but now it doesn't anymore. So basically, this was Japan going, I think we can print as much money as we want when we're in trouble to try and get us out of this. And ever since then, every country's pre much done quantitative easing in this way what they do for quantitative easing it's it's only when you're in a recession it's called quantitative easing apparently so when you're in a downturn and you do it it's called quantitative easing but if you were if if you weren't in a recession and you did it it would be called borrowing that's i think that's my understanding of that it's just a real daft subtle thing in order to say, oh, we're not borrowing, we're doing quantitative easing, but really they are doing borrowing. But borrowing isn't borrowing. Borrowing's a really stupid thing to call what countries do because if we borrow some money, we have to pay it back to someone, like whether that's a bank or your friend or whatever. Whereas if a country borrows money, don't have to pay it back to anyone apart from themselves or sometimes they, sometimes they can someone might borrow from the USA basically through the World Bank or whatever if they don't have their own currency or they might have it backed against another currency. But the UK really don't owe people stuff. It just depends how much money's in your economy. So you put more money in the economy and then all our money at the moment's going to the very richest people because they through the pandemic when they put all that money in, the rich people got incredibly richer, which shows that when the government puts money into something it's going directly to those rich people. Well, it might not be directly. It might go through your bank account, but it'll go to the rich people. And then what you need to do then is if you've got such a terrible system where that's happening, rather than it circulating within a community, you should be then saying, well, I will tax that and put it back into the communities where it'll be spent. But they don't want to do that. And we're seeing that with like Sunak's wife and stuff, which I bet you will be a question later on, um, that people aren't paying their taxes when they can get away with it. So like tax really should be redistributive and it is, but in our system, it's redistributing what little money the rest of us have towards the top. 
So quantitative easing is basically a little sneaky way of saying borrowing without saying borrowing. Is this like the Tory definition of loan? Someone gives you some money, then they take it back, but it's not a loan because technically speaking, legally, if it's for your energy bill, it's different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's like anything else. Give something a fancy name and and people won't understand it. You know, that's, that's what they Or just change think. the definitions. That's the other thing they do, isn't it? Yeah. Like, we're going to change the meaning of poverty so that less people will be in poverty. <laughs> yeah, or they'll That's change the meaning of, of socialism to make it actually be about those people who go around telling other people that they can't say anything and shouting at people on the internet and it's like oh you mean you mean liberals you mean <laughs> is, that, is that what you mean um what yeah. what dan said is absolutely right is that it, it is a redefinition because of course uh quantitative easing has happened for centuries i mean Think about slavery when we when we abolished slavery and we paid out the slave owners, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds uh, because slaves were considered their property. And in order to bring about the end of slavery, we, we had to pay the slave owners off. So, you know, it's the same kind of thing from then to now. And, you know, think of the banking crisis where most people think of quantitative easing, but it has happened since then. It, it hasn't really stopped in reality. It is about redefinition over the years, and I, you know, I do believe uh, that modern uh, quantitative easing did happen in uh, in Japan, as you said, but in 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 different forms. It's it's, it's been happening for centuries, and it will continue to. But the question we need to be asking is, if you know, if we're in God knows how many trillions of pounds of debt, we need to start asking to who. I mean, you know, no 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 doubt this government with the way it sells things off, it's probably to some. Uh, some payday loan company uh, that we're in uh, in debt to, and actually we only actually owe thirty quid, but it's we forgot to pay it a couple of times. It's now at uh, fifty trillion or whatever we're at. I, I, I don't know how much, how much you know debt that we're in because of course, um, in, in a you know as you said earlier, in a nation where we have our own currency, how can we be in debt? It's it's virtually impossible, isn't it? Under the current system, which Mick Hills points out, was the gold standard was abandoned in 1971. I think it was under Nixon. Um, and yeah, so it's been... People think selling off all your gold, people always say, oh, the reason the UK is in debt is because Gordon Brown sold off all the gold. Like he was like raiding cupboards for gold and stuff, whereas actually our resources that have been sold off, like... Royal Mail and you know schools currently the schools <laughs> schools have been sold off in the NHS and all these things and like in Channel Four at the moment, all those things are our actual resources. Whereas gold became a pointless thing to have linked to currency. So, yeah. Um, oh, Jacqueline, I thought I was going to answer that question. Jacqueline had said, "Is liberal another name for centrist?" But she was being snarky. Um, actually, that's a. I think that's a really interesting question. What's a liberal? Jane, what do you understand by liberal? Well, there's what I would have thought it was when I was in school, and there's what I, what the people who have been called liberals now seem to be. I see liberal to me sounds like it's talking about some sort of freedom and um, you know recognition of. Um, people's human rights but in practice it feels now that the people who are being called liberals seem very reluctant to attempt to change a system which is actually 
abusing a lot of the people that live here. There were literally people starving to death, um, children who don't have a mattress to sleep on, children being robbed of a decent education um, because they're going to school hungry and living in terrible conditions and never, just aren't going to get the education opportunities they need. It doesn't seem to me to be liberal to not want to change that system. Um, so I'm quite confused between the reality and what the word would lead me to think it should mean. Neil, what's your definition of liberal? Uh, I don't know. Um, if I'm brutally honest, I, because because the political uh, landscape has moved so much over recent years, where basically we seem to be everything seems moving further and further to the right or further and further to the left. Um, so it, it, I, I don't quite know what a liberal is anymore. I think. You know, is is liberal not someone who sits on the fence? I mean, I, I I don't quite know what liberal is, if I'm brutally honest with you. I know what the classical definition of a, a someone who uh, is liberal, um, someone who's into a liberal political ideology, but I don't know what it means in terms of modern uh, political world. I'm, I'm at a loss for that. I don't know. It's, it's a great question, though. Is if that is it not a better question to say? Is there is there room for liberalism in the current uh, political climate? And if so, how should that look? And what is it? So, Dan, what is it? What do you think it is? Well, like, there's to be liberal. For the, this is my opinion on it. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not a, a, an educated person in terms of academia. But like, there's the words um, liberal, which is to be liberal. Like, so someone who doesn't like to, you know, back in like the '90s, say someone who doesn't like to wear a bra. Oh, they're very liberal with their clothes. You know what I mean? Like, oh. But then at the same time, in a more kind of political term there's like liberal as in what the americans use you know, oh they're liberals and that kind of they use it in the terms of they're lefties basically that's our their equivalent to what we call what in the uk would be called lefties but here in the uk i think because of like the liberal democrats and that it's it's very liberal it's, it's, it's that kind of middle ground what used to be um to the left of the tories but what's happened with neoliberalism is that all liberalism, I, I think, has, has kind of, it, political liberalism has, has moved into that, yeah, you know, we, we're socially liberal, but financially conservative. And, and I think that's, that's where it's got to, is that, that centrist stage, the word that was used earlier, I think, by Jacqueline, um, where, where literally it's, it's, it's that middle ground, as Neil said, sitting on the fence, that's, that's why I call Lib Dems as fences, because they never really vote for anything. And then if they do, it's because they've made some kind of, um, they've, they've given ground on what they want. For example, let's go back to 2011-12, when they were meant to be, um, you know, getting rid of uh, student loans and, and looking at how they can actually help the welfare state. And... They, they gave in for 5p tax on, on shopping on plastic bags and, and that's where they gave in on ground so that basically people ended up um, in, in more, more people ended up in poverty uh, than they were before and, and that's a liberal to me is, is a combination of those things like a fence sitter, a centrist and someone who will give ground to the right and has been caught up in the world of neoliberalism because a lot of the time liberals are uh, financially better off um, it, that they have that mindset and they want to keep the nice things that they have but the people who but act like or show that they do care a little bit for the people who maybe don't have as much as them 
So in, in a roundabout, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think the the issue for me is there's a difference of definitions across the Atlantic, isn't there? There's so you've got um you've got the American thing where liberals, as you say, are their left wing, whereas over here you've got liberals, which were the liberal parties, you know, that the half of them jumped ship to join the Labour Party at one point, and that's why you've got such a liberal tradition within the Labour Party because you had this working party, whereas you had this like aristocratic, and someone mentioned that as well. Um, you know, um, Frank Herbert, scratch a liberal, and they um, they're a closet aristocrat, and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good that um so but yeah you've got that kind of in the, a lot of people say like they mix them up they mix up left wing and liberal being left wing isn't being liberal and being liberal isn't being left wing you know it's I don't know it's it's a funny old definition right let's go for another one following on from that what is a sense just to add on to the end of it oh yeah go for all. it I, I think the other thing is and and this is and I I nearly every time. I'm on this show, I do this, um, or I do it in life as well. But it's the media. When you've got a right-wing controlled media, um, then they will mix and turn things. It's like the whole, at the beginning, you said about getting cancelled. And it's this, this whole thing about the language that they use narrates the arguments that we have. And we have these culture wars and stuff. We're sitting here having this conversation, I would say, not an argument, but over what a liberal is or what liberal means. And at the end of the day, not to diffuse this conversation because, you know, what it is and where we are, but um, like people end up in the media or in daily life having these conversations about who's cancelled or not cancelled and what's liberal and what's not liberal, when really the conversation, the national conversation, should be about why the fuck we care more about £600 million being spent or £60 million being spent on a clock tower in London rather than being spent on northern children in poverty or the fact that it was never spent on on towers like Grenfell and and those people mm. still haven't had the the um the the money they should have received and the help they should have received five years later by the way Liverpool Grenfell um vigil is happening on the 14th at 6 p.m if you're about you're on uh, fire that church <laughs> You're on fire. I'm going to bring in a couple of comments here as well. And please, anyone else who sees any comments, please do bring them in. But um, we had a brilliant one from Leanne. She was saying, liberal for me is someone who is flexible on the political spectrum, quite often Ooh. flip-flopping to suit agendas, which is probably why Jacqueline originally said, are they a centrist, which we'll come to in a second. Um, oh, by the way, hello, uh, hello, Twitch. We've got someone viewing on Twitch, Prismio. Um, how are you doing? Um, and who, who else was there a good comment from, um, quantitative eating as well. Thank you for that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll come back to a couple of questions in a bit. So we're going to say now, what is a centrist? So <laughs> Neil looked gutted at that question. So I'm going to give him some time to think. And Jane's always really good for a first go at this one. So Jane. So just to be contrary, a centrist is a word that is used wrongly, in my opinion, because for me, I would say that us sitting here with socialist views are the centre, um, but we're considered to be hard left. So I don't know if it'd be an idea to discuss what does hard left mean afterwards. Um, but so for me, the centre is the, you know, the rational middle bit. So between 
for me between communism and you know no state intervention whatsoever in terms of support for people um, would be socialism and that's the center um, but centrist has been ironically used for a few years now hasn't it to kind of attack the socialist um, faction of um, society um, I'm not really I, I think it, it it seems to be used to describe people who are very angry about socialists I'm not sure what other values those people hold because if I'm honest I've not actually found a policy that we see that we has been discussed that we disagree on but they're really angry that mm. we're socialists well, would you not think of uh, Keir Starmer being centrist I do is, is, the, is the definition of a centrist for me but I'll come to my definition yeah. in a bit really depends on what you think centrist means if you think centrist means a socialist i i don't agree with I, I th- if you I don't want to nationalize services i don't think you're a socialist i i, I think it's I mean, for my, uh, my my definition of a centrist is someone who uh, pretty much supports the ideas of uh, of the tories you know in particular the right-wing tories and just uh, but you know kind of repackage them and make them not as bad you know kind of like Tory-like kind of thing. That that's kind of what I think of uh, when I think of centrist, which you know, which is the absolute definition of uh, of uh, Keir Starmer, and in particular with uh, Ed Miliband as well, who you know, we famously um, under him we uh, you know we we, we referred to Labour as being uh, Tory-like, and we've gone back to that and seem to think it's a good thing. Mm, Done. I think I kind of said before when I was talking about liberals, what a centrist is really. Um, I, I would, I would say that you know the part of the Labour Party that didn't like Jeremy Corbyn or don't like Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, um, they they would be centrists. I think a lot of the uh, Tory MPs who left the Conservatives um, or, or that supported Remain or left over the Remain issue. Um, they they were more centrists. Um, I feel like a centrist in, in the kind of term that a lot of people on the left, especially at the moment in the UK, use the word. It's it's people who are quite happy with the status quo. Um, there's some things that they might, and, and this is the word that gets used. I think John Trickett's uh, known for using it a lot, is tinkering around the edges. And it's it's that, that kind of like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll remove a bit of that, but we'll keep this because there's some of us that are doing okay by it rather than making fundamental groundbreaking change to the system that actually takes apart capitalism. And, and there's two ways you can go about it. You can, you can go uber capitalism, which is what this Tory government is doing, or you can go uh, full socialism, uh, which is what I think uh, us here obviously want, and uh, or what Jeremy Corbyn's leadership was, was leading the Labour Party to, potentially the country could have been. Um, and, and, and they're the two directions you could go. But then there's that middle, that centrist area, where it's like, well, yeah, we want to nationalise some things, but still have private private interests. And, 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 you know, we want banks to get their bonuses, but we do also wish we'd tax them a little, maybe, maybe some, some little taxation along the way, and that's it. But we have to tax them equally as we tax the working people. That's, that's a kind of centrist ideology, really, in my mind how I see it. I don't think you can define it because in, in politics too, I, I think you can define it, but you can't define it co- like 
one definition today will not be the same in five months time sometimes because um, the way that politics changes, the way language changes, and back to what I was saying about the media, the right-wing media controlling conversations and, and how things are spoken about. Um, and, and, you know, 30 years ago, it was the introduction of neoliberalism. Now we're looking at 10 years ago, there was the whole austerity um, narrative, then it's credit crunch, and then it was, now it's cost of living. All of these kind of terms that get used in politics to try and talk about what's going on, that then shift that narrative that the media use to, to put where they, they like to place people. And then we narrate it into the words on the streets or on online. Yeah, there's. It's funny that because like um, the the way people have summarized it there, Jane was talking about something that was different from what um, Neil and Dan were both talking about, and what Jane, I think you were talking about was what centrism should be and what it appears to be. So I'm gonna like I think normal people, everyone's a normal person really, but like you know people on the on the street you you would talk to would think of centrism like this. So there's two people, like, there's a left-winger and a right-winger, and they're going at it in a bar, and they're going to have a fight. And the centrist comes in and goes, hey, hey, guys, 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 you've got some good points. You've got some points. Let's have a pint and sort this out. And the centrist guy's like, yay, I'm really, really great. And I think that's what a lot of people in the public think centrism is and what it's supposed to be. And I think, you know, in a way, Jane, you were kind of saying, yeah, that middle ground between two ideologies might have some good points that you could both drag from and i think that's what people generally do think so when they think of centrism because my sister said to me um what's wrong with centrism one day <laughs> and i say, like, well because it's not really centrist so the other way of thinking of centrists is like a negotiation so the one problem with centrism is this if you are going to argue for your point and you're looking for a third way if you've already chosen the third way, then you're, then whatever is the dominant political ideology at that time, you then start negotiating with that. So if, if it's a negotiation, if centrism is a negotiation between two ideologies and you're saying, right, OK, we've got that. So I'm going to be a centrist. Then whatever becomes dominant or whatever becomes normal just becomes like, you're, right, OK, let's go for the halfway point between the right and me which is halfway between you and the... So you become centre-right, for example. Um, and that's happened time and time again, and the Overton windows shifted, and you know, and, and, and now the dominant politics is right-wing. Like, look at, the, look at the insane levels of privatisation we've got. And then the other problem with centrism for me is it's not really centrist at all if it is steeped in that kind of tradition where actually... The economic system doesn't need to be fiddled with. Um, you know, academies don't need to be reversed. We don't need to bring local authority or, or local control back to schools or whatever. We don't need to renationalize Royal Mail. We don't need to renationalize energy companies or whatever. If you think that that is centrism, then what you actually are is an establishmentarianist. And I think we should start referring to them as establishmentarians rather than centrists, because centrism doesn't describe what they're doing. Centrism sounds like this really nice thing where you're just compromising, but it's nothing. The centrists that I know are the least compromising people I've ever met. 
and they will not compromise with you despite the fact that a lot of them have no ideas whatsoever and no values and no <laughs> and no policies and they'll just be like right i really disagree with you having that policy well what do you think should happen don't know <laughs> now it is <laughs> so yeah it's it's that kind of right okay whatever's happening now is good Change always comes from the fringes. It always comes from the left or it comes from the right or whatever. Change comes from the fringes. It doesn't come from the establishmentarians. So if you want things to stay exactly the same, go with the centrist. If your life is great now, then you need centrist politics. If your life is terrible or if you see other people suffering, then you need change. Centrism isn't going to bring you change. And I think that's where... I think that's where we're seeing no policies coming from the centre whatsoever because the centre is probably, for me, defined by, yeah, everything's okay, let's keep the establishment as it is. Don't rock the boat. So, yeah. I like that comment there, centrism is the fear of having to deal with policy. It's like, it's like, yeah, they're, they're nearly like, you know those people who are like, who don't vote because they basically don't want to they don't want to put their flag in the grounds. They don't want to put their flagpole down and say, this is where I am, in case they maybe someone disagrees with them or things go a different way and they didn't get it right. There, there's a fear of kind of trying to say that this is the way it should be. It's like, look, let's just let's just stick with what we've got and, and see how things go and, and we'll kind of maintain that, that status quo. Mm. Like I that like paper bag in the changed. wind. Sorry, sorry, Jane. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. No, I, I was going to say, I feel like centrism has changed over the last two years. It might just be my perception because I wasn't very involved with um, politics, um, you know, before. But um, I feel like whilst um, Corbyn was leading the Labour Party and we had a really strong left-wing movement in this country, um, I remember thinking, I don't understand the division between centrist and the so-called hard left because I read articles and they seem to have the same social values as me and they're complaining about the things that the left seems to be offering a legitimate way of addressing and I can't under I can't see how those ways aren't consistent with what they're saying. I don't remember hearing any conversations about policy um, until things changed a couple of years ago when Corbyn stepped down from the leadership of the Labour Party and now I do openly hear differences in policy people openly saying no we don't want to nationalize i didn't hear that before um so i don't know if that's to do with there being such a strong left movement before and so maybe that goes back to what you're saying about you know they didn't rock the boat they didn't want to talk about policy and perhaps i just didn't understand that for me again like yeah I, I... Definitely see your point there, Jen, and it depends how into it you've been. But let's say something something's happened this week in the in the Labour Party in the northeast, and it's been uh, there's been some um, Islamophobia reported on widely from a a member of our regional executive committee, which is like you know a, a high up structure in the northeast. So sorry, in the whole of Labour North. So it would be. Um, they would be deciding on things like lists for MPs and, and all that kind of stuff and shortlisting. And, you know, and uh, it was a friend of someone who was on the NEC and it was involved with all that. You'll probably find, someone will probably put the link to what happened in the chat. But these people have had power for a long time. And before left-wing politics came along, back into the Labour Party, back into the mainstream of it, they used to fight each other. 
Blairites and Brownites would physically fight each other at times. It was not unheard of for meetings to break out in like in actual violence because whatever like whilst whilst dancing on like a, a the head of a pin in terms of policy, they just really hated each other for some reason. And you know, the yeah, difference but, between uh, Blair and Brown and they hated each other. I think the the only difference now is in a uh, I can imagine a PLP meeting now that the only thud that you'll hear is the head hitting the table and then gentle snoring uh, just after it. I think. Mm. Okay. And it's, it's, it's it's where we've gone to. I mean, I think I, I agree with all that's been said about uh, centrists, but you know, uh, as Mia said in the comments, that you know she doesn't she doesn't uh, agree with the. Um, Stam as a centrist because he is right um, because he's right of Blair, but that's the point I made before about how the whole political spectrum has moved to the right. So therefore, you know, it's I think it's right to consider him uh, a centrist. Mm. Yeah, just depends. Like, so you'll have your own centre. Most mm. people think of themselves as quite moderate, don't they? You know, that's the thing. The centrists get all the good words. They're like, "Oh, I'm sensible. I'm moderate. You know, you know, I'm not going to do anything awful to you." You know, and and a lot of people in their in their homes probably think, "Oh, yeah, moderate's a good word." You know, I like moderate but things. But centrists tend to start wars. They do. So it's not a very centrist thing to do. You can't like, "Oh, well, tell you what. What's what's halfway between war and not war?" bit of war in the Middle East where we just bomb them. <laughs> that, that seems to be what they come up with, you know, and it, it's... Uh, well, awful. just change the definition of the word war and it's not really war anymore. It's not a bad thing. Conflict. Oh, don't joke about it, Dan. They will. They have. They have. They call it conflict. Yeah, they, conflict, they, yeah. They won't refer to it as war a lot of the time. Um, we're still looking for questions. Come on, give us some questions in the chat. I'm going to scroll through because um, I'm, I may have missed some really Leanne's good questions Leanne's got one here. still on centrism. Well, what is it? Um, it's, oh, no, no, I don't to get it here. Uh, why do centrists scream broad church when a slightly left leader is in charge, but then when they get leadership, cheer on purges and become uber intolerant of collaboration? I feel like that's rhetoric, a rhetorical question. Because <laughs> I think but, she knows. Uh, I think she knows the answer, but maybe it's a one that we we need to address here. Who wants to go? I think it is big bad hypocrisy. Like overall, basically, um, that's that's the main start of it, in my opinion. Um, and and I was just thinking when you were talking about PLP meetings before. Like I remember, I you know I would I would ask MPs about like the PLP meeting. I'm like, how was it? Because uh, you'd get loads of leaks from PLP meetings under Jeremy and now there's not really any leaks under Kid. and I think it is literally that they are for anyone that doesn't know PLP is parliamentary Labour Party so all the Labour MPs have a meeting like once a week in Parliament I think on a Monday or a Tuesday and it's it's literally that they 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 all go there to hear what the leader has to say about the goings on of the week and there were constant different um, attempts and tactics being used to attack Jeremy. I think Mandelson said um, he makes it his um, aim every day to un find a new way of undermining Jeremy Corbyn while he was leader. And 
that's exactly it. What they did was during the PLP meetings is they used that as a tactic or a, a chance to make Jeremy look weak, like he didn't have control of the party. Um, so they would constantly be asking difficult questions, constantly um, uh, shouting out and, and saying mad things, and then coming out and talking, you know, blatantly to the media, um, saying, "Oh, this has just happened. It was a terrible meeting." When in fact, you speak to someone like, uh, you know. A left MP, someone who was in the cabinet, they'll say, Do you know what? The meeting was sound and could have ended in about 15, 20 minutes, but they kept crying at the back. And that's why, in answer to, was it Avon who asked the question or Leanne? Um, yeah, the, the, the answer to the question is, is because it was tactics. That's what it was. It was their tactics and their, their way of trying to undermine Jeremy, uh, remove Jeremy. Uh, and, uh, and now they don't need to do that because they want to keep Keir in there. And the left MPs that are in there, they are actually sensible, grown up, forensic, um, and, and they don't have a go at Keir, Keir while he's holding a meeting because at the end of the day, most people on the left have respect for, for everyone. Um, and it, it goes back to that old saying, you know, I may disagree with what you have to say, but I will fight to, to the end of days to, for your right to say what you want to say. And, 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 and that's what left people on the left do is they'll, they'll sit, they'll listen to what you've got to say, and then they'll challenge you accordingly. Whereas those people who, who didn't agree with Jeremy, um, they're children. Hmm. Actually, you know, that's, that's unfair on children. Yeah, <laughs> children pests. are normally quite nice to each other. Yeah, they're just pests. <laughs> From, from what I've heard from speaking to people in the, at that time, it was brutal. It was the way they were treated was absolutely brutal. The other the other aspect of that we haven't mentioned is the media. So, um, you know, there have been plenty of things that could have looked absolutely terrible for Keir Starmer. Um, and they just haven't been reported upon where it's like, oh, no, this like, you know, obscure thing happened in a, in a meeting in a branch labor party meeting over over five members were in attendance where someone turned up wearing a cuba t-shirt and you're like ah you know and the, the, the labor party's falling apart and you'd have that kind of stupid news story where you'd where you'd have that so but these people had links with um with the right wing with the right wing press we had a story in Sedgefield where we were told that we were bullies um, the Daily Mail rang me up one time. I was sitting in university doing like, you know, doing the doctorate, um, which I abandoned because of all the things that were going on in the Labour Party and how how much time it took up to deal with things like this. And the Daily Mail was saying, oh, we heard that you were bullying people and you were doing all this. And, and uh, I went, well, that's not what happened at all. Um, it was basically because we won an election internal election of the Labour Party. So the right-wing people within our CLP went to the Daily Mail to tell them about it. And we just don't have access to the, the press in that way. We just don't have that. And they, they can make up any story. Anyway, the fellow from the Daily Mail says, well, that doesn't sound like the story that we want to tell, from what I heard. So they went and told you the lie story. Then they didn't print that I denied it all, and it was what it was just normal internal Labour Party politics that is not really that interesting on a national scale. But yeah, I'd like I'd like to uh, to hear the Ford report. I'd, I'd like to read the Ford report and exactly what happened there, um, because we know 
that Jeremy Corbyn was being uh, undermined by his own um, uh, office staff. Uh, not all of them, but certainly, uh, certainly some of them. And you know, wouldn't surprise you know. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what the links were there um, and how these some of these stories came about, um, and how it was the case we were constantly having to battle um, against all kinds of uh, rubbish. I mean. I mean, for example, everyone remembers uh, the Jeremy Corbyn image on uh, Newsnight, uh, you know, with, uh, with the red hairs on it, the uh, Kremlin and the Russian hat, you know, because it was, it was linked to Russia, apparently. But yet, you know, it's since turned out, actually, it's the Tories that are very much linked to, uh, to, uh, to the Kremlin. But yet, you know, there's, you don't see Newsnight uh, mocking up an image like that of, say, Boris Johnson. You know, and I don't know, calling him some, you know, maybe they could, maybe they could have a bit of fun, and you know, even just on one occasion, calling calling Boris Yeltsin just for a joke, it'd be pretty funny. <laughs> well, what about the time they covered up uh, when he when he did the Remembrance Day thing, and he was all scruffy, and he looked like he'd had about like ninety lines, and then um, and, he, and he didn't bow enough as well, yeah, and he didn't bow enough, so they used last year's footage when he was slightly less dishevelled, uh, you know, rather than. Unbelievable stuff, Jane. You haven't spoke on this yet. What do you think? Um, I think it was either disingenuous or um, or very out of touch. And I'm not. I'm not convinced it's not disingenuous. But um, I do feel like our politicians are extremely out of touch with people. I mean, look at how many of them. I think many on the toy bench. But look at how many are millionaires. Look at our chancellor. When you know, uh, is aren't they billionaires? Millionaires, billionaires, more money than any of us could ever imagine. Sitting there taking more money from taking twenty pounds a week off of people on universal credit, raising national insurance, and they've been trying to do that for years, even before this, and they've been stopped a few times because their first instinct was to take money off of you know people on a normal living wage, just trying to make ends meet, whilst they've like given um, benefits to bankers over and over again wealthy people tax breaks we seem to have either a chancellor who's dishonest or who doesn't understand our tax system who sits there and says that they don't realize that non-dom is a different thing to um your nationality despite the fact that his wife would have had to have actively applied for that non-dom status and despite the fact that they've both been choosing to pay tax on their earnings in america and then giving us some story about their deep love for england and india it's, um, it worries me greatly that these people are in charge of our economy. We need people in charge who understand how the system works and who are honest. And one of those is not working. Possibly both of them are not working. Um, and I do think, too, when you look at going focus groups, I don't know. I just think the system is not working for so many people. And it seems so very obvious when you're, when you're just a normal person. You can see it around you how people are suffering. These people seem to be living in a parallel system where our, our parliamentary system gives them a free house to keep in the most expensive place in the country, lets them claim from the taxpayers' money to heat not only their own homes, but stables if they want. Mm. Um, it's crazy. It's just so out of touch. And their first instinct is always to take from us to sustain that and... Um, you know, to hear that companies like Shell and BP are paying no taxes and are actually taking millions of pounds from us in subsidies um, and then 
doing things that really aren't good for the planet, the whole system seems so messed up and we don't seem to have politicians who really understand it or care about it. Would that's an absolutely brilliant point, Jane, and I love it. And I'm going to say, spoil it now by being totally flippant. But um, would we all on this call now like to take the opportunity to tell everyone to make an announcement that we intend to pay the tax that we owe? Because that's what yes, Rishi Sunak's wife was able to do today, mm. as if she's some sort of martyr for saying, I shall now forevermore pay what I owe. And I shall not any any longer take advantage of my husband being the chancellor. Is, and... is this what happened today? Oh, yeah, she said she's going to pay taxes now. I've been so in the edit suite most of the day, so I've, yeah. I've missed the news. That's why I was a bit worried about coming on, to be honest. Because I, like, <laughs> I haven't caught up with what's gone on. So she's basically gone on the news and said, I'm going to pay the taxes I owe, and everyone's clapping and applauding her. That, that's the attempt. That's what they're trying to do, and oh. um, and also, are we um, are we? Did any of us actually? She didn't mention this, but um, are any of us? Did any of us receive money back from the UK system? You know, did any of us receive any huge amounts of tax to subsidise our billions? Because when we're billionaires, you need those kind of subsidies in order to be billionaires. Because otherwise, you might just be multi multi millionaires. You know, if if the government weren't know, helping but, you, uh, I think the interesting thing with uh, Sunak's wife is the fact that the fact that now she's decided to pay more tax, it reveals a few things. The first thing it reveals is that actually she didn't, she wasn't paying the rate of tax she should have been paying in the first place. If only she knew someone that could have advised her properly on that system. I don't know. He said, you know, maybe someone she sleeps with at night. You know, uh, maybe someone she has dinner with. I don't know. I mean, maybe she doesn't have those kind of contacts like we all do. Um, but the, but then not that as well. But, the, but she's volunteered to pay more tax, which nobody in the right mind would do that unless they're not paying the right tax. But the thing is, well, it, it's a choice for her as well. You know, I'm sorry, but I, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could choose? Uh, you know, if we could choose what taxes we can pay and not pay, the first tax I'd get rid of is VAT. I'd get rid of that tomorrow. Because it's a tax, it's it's an it's a tax on the poor. You know, the poorer you are, the more your income goes on VAT. I'd deal with that um, tomorrow. But you know, but it, it is a scam, and it's a scandal that this could happen. And you know, and the, but the problem is, it's focusing a lot on um, on Rishi Sunak's wife, and you know, with good reason. Um, but the fact is, you know, what happens when we get into that? Well, it's this individual. Is we then lose track of well, actually. It's the system that's allowed this to happen. And we have to close those loopholes to do it. And I can't see that happening under this uh, under this chancellor. But my God, has he not had a fall from grace? Where there was, you know, just a year ago, there was nothing he could do wrong. You know, um, where, you know, because he, he was giving lots and lots of money to the rich. But because he's not giving so much money now, and I, I kind of wonder that's why the media have started to turn on a little bit. And that's fine by me. Because uh, if that stops him becoming uh, prime minister, uh, which I've got no no doubt that's what he's uh, got his uh, his eyes on, then I'm quite happy with that. But the problem is, you know, we need to do away with a system that allows this to happen, and and I can't see that happening until enough people educate themselves on this, or we help to educate people on this, and arise up and fight back. 
Yeah, Sunak's the symptom, isn't he? Not the cause, because like Sunak, the idea that someone like Sunak can help crash the world economy in 2008 and then be lauded as some kind of saviour and become the chancellor just shows you how broken the system is that, you know, yeah, everyone loved him until recently and then they found out that actually he's horrible, but, like, he did crash an economy before, like, for the world and we've been paying for that through austerity for 10 years. But on his wife, Neil, get her name out of your effing mouth, right? (laughs) <laughs> and that and that segues into when when Su, when Sunak um compared himself to Will Smith, <laughs> to Will Smith which was kind of massively different but he's like yeah you're going after my wife because she's got <laughs> she's got a disease that makes her steal billions of money from from you um and uh, yeah, it's the same. But Laura did ask us, um, what are our thoughts on Will Smith and Chris Rock? Is it being used to distract us from bigger issues or does it raise important issues of its own? Dan, you go. <laughs> Do you know what? I've, I've, I've not commented on this yet. I don't think anywhere really, like on any social media platforms or anything. Because... I do feel like when these things happen, I, I actually, I'm going to start off with maybe I'm, I'm, I'm naturally going to be biased because I like Will Smith a lot. I really like Will Smith generally, like the work he puts out and the messages he puts out and all of that and stuff. Like, I don't know his politics because he's been very clever not to really show his politics. You know what I mean? He's one of those people. Um, and, and just in terms of what he does, and, and I know that affects my opinion on, on what's happened here. However, I do think it is a distraction. I do think that whole thing about Pfizer sponsoring, was it the Oscars or was it the Grammy? I don't, I don't follow these events, you see. It was the Oscars, right? It was something, I, I don't actually know. Yeah. Maybe someone <laughs> will tell us. But I've seen but yeah. them sponsoring a lot of things lately. Yeah, but... Pfizer sponsor like everything anyway, like they put money into anything they can really, because it benefits them. It benefits them in so many different ways. And, and I think that again was a distraction. It was like, oh, well, you know, let's let's put that out. And, and a lot of these like rumors, conspiracies, they're created by like right-wing media. Um, if you look at a lot of those kind of blogs and, and um, I suppose right-wing versions of socialist think tank, a lot of the time they're funded by massive organizations like the American Tea Party. If you don't know about them, Google them, they're fucked up. And um, they put money into these little kind of right-wing media groups who then start these conspiracies or make these memes and and stuff to to get people talking about it, keep the conversation going. And then you have to think about what's really going on in the world. Um, Let's not forget that um, last week was the, you know, and I'm not saying these are specifically linked, but uh, last week was the start of the Great Return, where um, Palestinians have have an annual um, the, the annual events where where uh, families and communities come together. And Israel started um, uh, or continued to increase their attacks on Palestinian communities and people. Um, and and pe- people are less likely to talk about that while Will Smith is in the media because he slapped someone. Um, and then and then there's other things going on in the world. Um, that, that these these things help distract us or they help them distract us 
from what's going on. That's just one example, and I'm not saying the two are specifically linked. Uh, these are just, um, there's, there's loads of them. M main reason I I'm, I'm mentioned that one is because I've actually, that's one thing I've read about today, this week. Um, and, and I think it is definitely um, correct that we, we talk about male violence. Um, it is definitely correct that we talk about issues like, you know, health issues, alopecia, how it affects women specifically. Um, and, and also um, we should talk about the way in which we celebrate celebrities and, and we look to them for, for their actions as to how we should act and everything. And, and then there are also the comparisons, you know, on the other hand, of how it was reacted to the fact that that whole thing is about movies and there, there are movies about violence that, that get awards, you know, movies about wars that get awards. But then when in real life, one of those actors actually slapped someone, whoa, that's terrible, yo. Oh, but that movie about war got an award. That's good, that's okay, you know what I mean? There's so many hypocrisies to it that I haven't wasted a lot of energy on the whole subject. I agree that it is a distraction, However, even talking about the fact it's a distraction is still a distraction. And I think that a lot of the time, the reason I've not spoken about it is that I just, by talking about any of it, but sorry, by not talking about any of it, it's one more person that's not talking about it and it's not a distraction. So I think a lot of the time we just need to be like, yeah, that happened in the celebrity world. But right now, like this is our focus. Back to what I was saying about before, you know, our focus should be talking about what, what the issues are in our communities, what's going on. And yeah, that's that's my kind of view. I know it's vague and it's probably some people might see it as weak or something um, in like, oh, we haven't really got an opinion. Like you could call me a Lib Dem, but like that, that's it, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, that doesn't need me to have a solid opinion on it because Will Smith's got money, whether he's allowed to go to the Oscars or, or be a part of the Academy for the next 10 years, that, that's not going to affect him. That's not going to change his life. He's still got P. He's still going to make money. He's still one of the most followed people on the internet. So he's doing all right. You know what I mean? Last year, he was a meme because he cried about, uh, people thought he was crying over his wife having a situationship with someone. And, and that was a good PR moment for him and his family and, and, and a chance to get to now. Okay, what's the next thing? And the majority of celebrities have those PR moments where something mad happens and everyone's like, oh, you know, they're in the media for a few months or whatever, and it helps the next movie or whatever they're trying to bring out. Maybe it's because King Richard didn't do as well in the box office. I don't know. Maybe it has nothing to do with the rest of the world issues that are going on. Hmm. Anyone else? It got into one little fight. It got into one little fight and his mum got scared. <laughs> no, um... In all honesty, I mean, I, I've not wasted much energy on this. I mean, I'm, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really that bothered about it. The, the only bit I am bothered about is how, you know, he basically he's got a lot of uh, media attention, basically because somebody took the piss out of somebody's disability, and <clears throat> that's the thing we should all be angry about. But why should it be okay uh, to make jokes about a, um, about a disability? But you know, that must be really. Um, must be having a big impact on somebody's health and well-being. I, I just don't think that's right. Um, you know, and that's as far as it goes for me, really. I, um, I, I do agree. I think it is a distraction, but the bigger, the bit, the bit in the middle of it is the taking the pee out of everyone's, uh, out of 
out of a disability rather than it being about, well, you know, Will Smith slapped uh, Chris Rock or whatever. I'm, I'm really not that fussed in terms of that, to be honest. Jane? Um, I think it was a bad reaction, but people sometimes make bad choices, don't they? I'm not too sure what I think about it, but it strikes me that um, hasn't he been banned from the award ceremony for 10 years or something? Perhaps Somehow. that's not going to harm him too much, but um, it strikes me that the entertainment industry has imposed a stronger punishment on him for that reaction than um, when the Conservative MP pinned a Greenpeace protection up against oh, yeah, the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel assault. I feel that was assault a few years ago. I don't even know if he got suspended from Parliament for a day, um, but there was absolutely nothing. And it's a shame that the entertainment industry is holding um, people to a higher standard than our elected representatives. Yeah, that was that was absolutely bonkers, and the fact that that didn't change because that was during the 2019 election campaign that that all came out. And the fact that people still went out and voted for him and that it shows it shows quite a lot. Um yeah, I think yes, let's got, be in a let's be let's be in agreement. I oppose the oppression of women. Oh, absolutely. Oppose. I've got one more thing to add on on the on the back of that as well. Mm. Um uh, actually two two things really. Um it, it was something I saw on one I don't know, Instagram or TikTok where it was highlighting all the times at these award ceremonies where men have come on stage and kissed other female actors or presenters um, without their permission. Um, and, and like there's, there's high levels of like misogyny and, and years of like racism and homophobia at these events that have never really caught the spotlight um, and, and never been dealt with. This one obviously is slightly different, um, but then again, I don't know, sexually assaulting a woman on stage in front of millions of people and slapping a man because he dished your wife. Uh, there, yeah, there is a difference. However, I think one is heavier than the other. And, and that's something we should, we should talk about if we're going to talk about these things. Also, I don't know if it was the same awards or an awards the week later, a week later. Um, not sure, because again, I don't follow these things, but Jay-Z held an after party where the workers of the venue yeah. were out on strike. Um, and he didn't listen to them, him and Beyonce, you know, these people who, who care about everyone and do such good for the world. Um, but like, they, they wouldn't stand by the workers and, and boycott that venue. Um, that didn't really get any mainstream media attention other than slandering the workers that I saw in the mainstream. Obviously left media covered it in a, in a different angle. Um, but yeah, there's issues like that that just don't get any attention at all. And it's like, yeah, we need, we need to like, really reset the priorities of mainstream media and i think you know having that conversation on here um helps give people an alternative option of media where they can find a different opinion on what's going on in these uh, uh celebrity worlds yeah absolutely agree with everything people have said there um i would just like to add one little thing um as you know like uh, i'm a teacher and one of the things that was interesting about this is I don't think people were that surprised. People deal with violence in their lives quite a lot, and it's it's pretty awful. Celebrity culture is absolutely appalling. And I think what happened was because people thought it was a celebrity thing, everyone thought it was going to be a little bit funny. 
you know what mm. I mean? Like when they saw it, when they when they go, oh yeah, he slapped him, almost like it was a comedy, like it was a slapstick thing, and it was this very real thing. And those of us who've not lived entirely sheltered lives will have seen that kind of violence and aggression and that kind of feeling. You could see, he's like you know, he's um, he, his adrenaline was really pumping and things like that, and it was just a dreadfully unpleasant thing. And I think sometimes the reality of that when you say that those war films Dan and those things the reality of violence was there and it was it was quite interesting but celebrity culture is absolute bullshit if they're just normal people like you know why should Will Smith not like why, why should he be held to a higher standard than other people he shouldn't be he should be absolutely you know um, held to the same standard as all of us but I don't know it's, it's a bit weird it shouldn't be getting as much attention um, as a Tory MP assaulting a Greenpeace activist did, but mm-hmm. you know, that this is it fits a narrative, doesn't it? It fits a narrative. One hundred percent. Definite, definite distraction. Um, Leanne Powell's mentioned uh, Clint Eastwood was held back from attacking a Native American faith. It's not quite. I know this story it was John Wayne. Um, so what happened is there was a Native American woman who went on stage to uh, accept an award on behalf of Marlon Brando. And um, and he had written a speech for her about how he wasn't going to accept the award because of the treatment of Native American people. And um, John Wayne later on had to be held back from physically attacking her. And Clint Eastwood, just uh, when he was presenting an award, just um, took the piss out of her, basically. So, yeah good good point made there um okay so i think we've definitely done that one you know come i think maybe we don't dive too much into celebrity culture although it it is kind of interesting the way people are put on a pedestal and they become these elite things it's it's uh there's been a few interesting things on jared leto lately um, about the way he's been treating his fans and, and, you know, very, very dubious things. People can go and search for those on YouTube if you type in Jared Leto behaviour or whatever or Jared Leto. And, um, I don't know. I think you'll probably be able to quite easily find it. These people are put on pedestals and it's put on pedestals by the media and a lot of the time it's to be knocked down. A lot of the time it is to distract People are being focused on entirely the wrong things. And, you know, a, a lot of people's lives are crap. A lot of people need these distractions. You don't want to come home and think about politics. You don't want to come home and think about how you could make your life better. Because sometimes in the process, you realise how corrupt and how bad the system is. And, and you, you just don't get that far. And Megan and Laura were talking to someone lately who's been on a bit of a journey lately and they're like oh my god how corrupt is this how good and you're like oh mate wait <laughs> wait until you hear wait until you hear the next thing wait until you hear the next thing and i often find people on the left and the right of the political spectrum um are actually angry about the very same things and then we get distracted by a couple of people having a pop at each other at the oscars oh uh, can i mention something there because mm. I was reading a book. Sorry to butt in, Paul. That's fine, um, but in a way. But a way. <laughs> so I was reading a book about um, the AFD, alternative 
Workers for Deutschland for Germany is a party in Germany now and I've, they've had surprising amounts of success um, at the elections. I'm not sure how much at the moment, but I think they had about 10% at one stage and they're seen as a far right um, organisation and they're, you know, there really are some neo-Nazi elements within it. There definitely are very far right elements within that party um, and the leadership I think has become increasingly outspoken for a period um, with some very concerning statements they've been making. And um, there, I was reading about um, a journalist who um, was shadowing one of the leaders just because she wanted to write about this um, movement. And there was a demonstration, a counter demonstration against the AFD demonstration. Um, and then so they had the left wing de counter demonstrators behind shouting um, no Nazis, no Nazis, and then the AFD supporters thought it come from them, so they were shouting no Nazis, no Nazis, and both sides were calling the other side Nazis, and they both thought it was talking about each other. It's a bit crazy. It is, and then you get some people who actually admit to being Nazis, and then no, no one says anything about it, and then if you say you're going to punch a Nazi, then people are like, you can't go around punching Nazis. <laughs> it's not like they're the enemy. Um, <laughs> it's, Oh, it's it, it's absolutely uh, they are, shocking. Maybe Nazis are the enemy in World War Two. They were definitely the enemy. <laughs> mm. Nazis so, are always my enemy. They are. I thought it's on a really bad track here. Sorry. No, it's calm, man. <laughs> I, I like the idea of punching Nazis, kicking them in the head, and dusting them, and let that be on record for life. But I think it's what Paul's saying is true. When you come down to the root of what's caused people to go towards different sorts of politics, you often got often got really similar social values at the bottom of it and concerns. But you've they've you've been led to think that this is the answer to that, or these people are to blame for it. But you both want the same thing. Yeah, I, I can I can I can like I definitely agree that conversation is always a good way to go. But when you know like the someone actually has that hate in them that that view that that they you know they are when i you know nazi at the end of the day is is basically a bigger you know what i mean a terrible bigger and when when someone is of that view and they're not willing to listen to any change or listen to another way of thinking because that's the difference i find you know when, when we had the tommy robinson rally here in bootle uh, we the first thing we did are there were a couple of demonstrations, but the one that, that I was involved in in leading with a group of people. Um, the first the first thing we were going to do and we did was go into the area where Tommy Robinson's rally was and speak to those people, because our first concern, it was a small concern because we had already been around the area where he was holding the rally and leafleted all those houses. But the first thing we did was we went into it and we spoke to all the people on that patch of grass and we tried to have friendly conversations with them. Some of them we shook hands with, some of them, one of them, I, I you know, I gave them a little hug, like it wasn't a proper, you know, one of them hugs. And, and I said, I'll have a pie with you afterwards. Thing is, none, there was like two people from the local area. The rest of them were all from other areas in the Northwest. And they had all come to support Tommy at this rally. And then as soon as the rally started, they were shouting every racist, misogynistic, bigoted thing at us. They just changed. They turned. We told them we're going to oppose Tommy no matter what. We're not going to stop and have a conversation with, what's his name? Stephen Yaxley, whatever. You know what I mean? And, and so absolutely right. I do agree with you, Jane. You know, have conversations with people to see. But as soon as that... They, they turn and they say, no, we're not accepting that what we're doing is hate 
or is is wrong or is is actually just evil, then boom, yeah, kick them in the head. Yeah, they're the kind of Nazis you you know the the there is no hope for, but you can't you can't. Um, I suppose we talked about this before at length, didn't we, Dan, on a private conversation before when we're talking about cancel culture and the way like we're back to liberals again. The way liberals are with racists. So a, a liberal, in my view, would have a view on racism where they are a non-racist person. Therefore, everything that they think is correct and mm. everything that someone disagrees with, that they disagree with, condemns them forever. Whereas we, as anti-racists, know that if you go around condemning people, like if you condemn someone's nana for like using the wrong word or something like that and then oh you've used that word and we were saying like we would never do that we would be like oh you've used the wrong word and you might get something well no i've got it right or whatever you might get that but generally the first step has to be oh did you know that that's a bit offensive to people and trying to be nice to them and and not and not canceling them because otherwise you're not going to change anyone's mind i think there's that i think that's another thing about liberals like almost the the idea that you can change people's minds is a socialist principle because otherwise what's the point if you can if you can't if people can't change then everyone is who they are when they were born and that's it and i think that's quite a certainly now amongst modern liberals on twitter and stuff it's like you say one bad thing ever or one thing that they deem to be bad and other people deem to be bad forever that's it that's it for you if they've got a bit of power you're gone you can't say a thing. You can't be like, oh, sorry, that was a bit offensive for this reason. We've got to be able to say that, especially on yeah. the really mild stuff. We've got to be able to say, do you know what? Some people might have been upset by what you said there. And every proper anti-racist I've ever spoken to believes that to their very core, that if people make a little mistake, if you're not trying to help them, you're doing something wrong. And... <laughs> And this is, again, back to... I don't know if anyone's got any comments on that, especially, Dan, because like, you were involved in that conversation that we had. <laughs> no, no, I agree with you. And what it reminds me of, I don't know if I brought this up at the time, but, like, it's it's like looking at how people are treated for how they react to certain things. And Gordon Brown, you know, love or hate the guy, he called a woman a bigot once, right? And he left the microphone on, got in the car, and he was like, oh, she's a bigot. And he was the bad guy for calling a bigger, a bigger, you know what I mean? Like it's, he was the bat and it's like, no, she, and, and I, I suppose, you know, leading on the conversation, um, that's the state of where we are. When you do actually call someone out and you're like, yo, that's racist. Whoa, whoa, I'm not racist. Are you calling me racist? He's calling me, can you believe <laughs> it? He's calling me a racist. I'm not racist. I just don't like packies. That's all. And it's like, but you're racist. Whoa! <laughs> and it blows my mind because my mate did this to me. He goes, Dan, do you honestly think I'm racist? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm just astounded that our friendship has got to this point, Dan. And I'm like, but Bill, you should have said his name. He says it to me all the time. Like, you say to me all the time, racist shit, bro. Like, they're misogynist as well. When you call men misogynist, they're like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. I like women, but you are misogynistic. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. I could lose my job over that, Dan. Don't... Exactly. Stop doing it. Don't, don't tell me not to call you it. Just stop. 
it winds me up something different, man. <laughs> and Leanne, let's go to the pub sometime, definitely. Earlier on, also, right? Sorry, Neil, just before you do, um, someone mentioned Damo Rants. And if you haven't watched Damo Rants, go on uh, Twitter everywhere, even TikTok, and check out uh, Kernel Damo or Damo Kernel, Damo Rants. His videos are brilliant. I can't wait to see his one about Rishi Sunak's wife today. Sorry, Neil, please do continue. Uh, you're okay. Um, no, one of my favourite uh, retorts that people have when um, when they call them racist. So racist? I'm not racist. Some of, some of my friends are black. That you know that that's one of my favourite things because my 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 standard response to that is so. I own a kettle, but I don't drink hot drinks. What the hell does that mean? You know what I mean? It's like you know it. We, we have come to this kind of thing where calling people out on things they do wrong is seen to be worse than the actual thing that they've done wrong. And there is a way. There is a way to go about it as well, you know. And, it, and I do think it's that whole thing of you know, rather than rather than seeing it in terms of kind of like um, like what you're saying on about, uh, rather than see it some kind of uh, battle with them. Instead, it's about trying to educate them. You know, and you can't educate everyone. You know, uh, you can't. There's some that will stick to it regardless, and fine, you know, but move on. Um, but yeah, uh, always worth challenging. Right. Okay. I think I think we've done that one. Then that's uh, that's pretty good. But again, back to to go full circle on this one. When someone makes a comment that they don't mean, like someone's nana, because they used to say it like fifty years ago, and that was them trying to be polite. Don't shout at them. Just be nice. <laughs> um. Okay. I think we are hitting the time when we are going to say goodbye. Um, so let's just see if there's any comments that have stood out that we that we need to bring up. Jane, you're well, normally good at comments. Leanne. Oh, shall we Leanne do a question? a question? Shall we do one final yeah. question to end on? Okay. Um, so she said, if we get time, Tony Ben um, said, weak leaders love wars because it makes them look strong. Do you think that's true still now? Who wants to go? There's not in here, but like, you know, we are not only a video thing, but we're also a podcast. So some people will be listening to this nodding, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you, I can knock every time I nod then. (laughs) um, No, I I, I completely agree. I I think it, it, I, I don't think it's more so now than it was. I think it's the same as it was. Um, I mean, I've got no doubt that, you know, I mean, look what's happening in uh, Ukraine at the moment. You know, Boris Johnson was looking incredibly weak. And, you know, he was in, you know, he was dealing with Partygate, the PPE scandal. You know, the list goes on of things he was having to deal with. And, you know, and they were talking about, well, we're going to get all the names in for the 1922 committee so we can hopefully get rid of him. That's all gone. Now, don't get me wrong. I I, I don't believe it's a conspiracy. I believe it's a coincidence of timing. That that is what I believe on that. Um, but the fact is, it does look strong because now saying, "Well, we're doing more for you uh, refugees than anyone else." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. You're putting up more visas than anyone else. You're right. Yeah, you're putting more barriers in the way than anyone else. So it does make him look strong." Uh, and of course, he's saying, "Well, we're now sending weapons out to Ukraine, etc." But even before that, let's go back. You know, um, uh, David Cameron and, you know, the wars that he started with Libya and Yemen and everywhere else. But before that, you know, 
the, uh, before that we had uh, Gordon Brown. He ran in for two years, and you know, the, you know, he didn't really get a chance to start a war, did he? Uh, let's be honest. Um, and then Blair, of course, um, you know, our nation's top war criminal. Um, and he can sue me for saying that if he wants. Um, I'd like to see him in the dock uh, one way or the other. Uh, but yeah, I, I do believe he's our, our nation's uh, war criminal. And of course, you know, not just here in the UK, but, you know, look at America, you know, has there been a, um, a president in the last, I don't know, 30 years that hasn't started a war? I don't think there is. Uh, Biden as yet hasn't started a war, but I think he's probably quite annoyed that Putin started one um, and it's cutting in on his territory, I think. So I, th I think I think the, uh, Tony Benko uh, still absolutely stands up uh, today. And, and sadly, it goes back to what we're saying earlier about uh, the media as well. They back this up and they, you know, the, you know, we, I mean, at the moment, of course, we talk about Falklands as well, 40 years ago. Um, and how that made uh, Thatcher look strong um, as well. And now we're going back and we're talking about... What we don't talk about is this little archipelago of islands off, uh, off Argentina that most people... I, I've never heard anyone talk about Falklands other than the war. You know, I mean, why... why I, I just don't get why, why we're so het up on bits of land that we really don't care about, you know. But I, why not just give it to the Argentinians, you know, Come up with some agreement. Let them look after it. You know, what I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it, uh, but I do think it's right. I think, without a doubt, Tony, uh, Tony Ben's uh, uh, court is uh, still stands for this day. Jen. Uh, yeah, I think it's true. I do. I think it's really shameful, actually, that Johnson should have stepped down um, for many reasons, but the most recent being the um, the way that the pandemic's been. Um, handled and the way that they, his ministers and himself seem to have thought they could hold themselves above the law during the lockdowns. Um, but I also was listening to um, a, um, a debate about um, the situation in Russia um, that was recorded a little while ago. It was people in Russia speaking to people in Germany. Um, and they were saying that actually Putin's reign in Russia was starting to become quite unstable because he can, it's the people in Russia are now well aware that fair elections aren't happening and that's a sham. So he can't rule on the basis of legitimacy or public opinion. He's lost those two things that were keeping him. So it makes me wonder to what extent for him, this is a strategic way of gaining, you know, some national spirit and making himself look like a strong leader in a last ditch attempt to cling on to power. Mm, Dan? How many times has Boris gone to meet, um, I don't even know his name, the Ukrainian president or prime minister? I think Zelensky. it was three, three times. Zelensky, yeah. I think it's three times he's gone to meet him. There you go. Do you know what I mean? Boris is doing his most. He is doing his most to be behind this war, stand up for the good guy, all this stuff, and rare, rare, rare. And I'm not going to get too deep into the actual what's going on in Ukraine, in my opinion, because, mm, but Boris is doing the most to, to seem like a, a supporter of, of war um, and supporter of the good guy. And all this money, was it three? I, I think that the one headline I caught earlier on the radio was at 390 million pounds. Like, yo, for one second right now, yeah, man's got 390 million pounds to put into a war that doesn't affect us, right? Because let's be honest, we've already run the country on um, renewable energy for a day or two, 
in previous years. We've been, we know we can do that. So gas and oil don't really matter, right? And he's doing the most to give them all this money while people are dying on our streets, while people who fought in wars for our freedom are dying on our streets. I feel like dashing my laptop right now just thinking about that. Do you know what I mean? Our people who fought in wars before now are dying on our streets and the money that could house them, help them feed them, help them stay alive is being spent on a war that has got no blood clot reason being involved in. KMT all day, bro. I'm angry now. Who asked that question? Don't, don't get my blood pressure high this time of night, especially when I'm standing behind a bar. <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, I don't think I could do any better than that. So what I'm going to say is one thing is uh, Trump didn't start a war, funnily enough. Of all the people who we were supposed to be absolutely terrified of, probably quite rightly, Trump didn't start a war. He was in a few, like, the, you know, the ones they were already in. But he didn't start There's a one. Culture war. There's a cultural count. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you can join Socialist Think Tank. You can be involved in these kind of debates. You can come on our Discord and all that stuff. Go to socialistthinktank.com, become a member. We accept donations because we like to be able to run these things, but we don't give you anything special for that other than just like, you know, that nice warm fuzzy feeling that you get from friendship. But then also we get that even if you join and don't give us anything because we are socialists and we know how difficult times are. We want people who have got all range of incomes to be able to get involved in our conversations so please do that follow us on um twitter subscribe to us on youtube like us on facebook like us on instagram and uh yeah follow us on twitch as well thank you everyone for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure it always is these people are absolutely brilliant i'm sure you will agree and the stars of the show are always you. Justice, peace, love, good night. I love that. So thank you so much. All your comments have been coming up on the screen. As you can see, you've been absolutely legendary. You always are. We love our audience. They are absolutely class people. And you are as much a part of the show as any of us. So thank you to you guys. Um, thank you to all of you who listen on podcast as well. We hope you're enjoying it. So um, we'll keep them coming as long as you like it. I want to end on one last little note on this very special week. Thatcher is still dead. See you later, everyone. We'll keep the red flag flying there.